Get ready. Fasten your seatbelts. Headphones on. Speakers turned up. This is a Cast Iron Ring Network podcast. Get ready for Blast Off. Welcome, one and all, to episode 63 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and like with every Classic Albums column, no IDs, we're just going to jump right into this. This month's Classic Albums column, this album that we're centering the column on, should have been featured a few months back, but due to various reasons, we're putting it out now, in May 2012, or 2012, however you want to pronounce it. This album is the first number one metal album to go this extreme, and it is Pantera's Far Beyond Driven. little bit of strength beyond strength coming off of Far Beyond Driven. And if you haven't checked out previous Classic Albums columns, essentially this podcast will have comments from various people discussing this album. Good, bad, and indifferent. You can also go to the MarsAttacksRadio.com website to check out the written comments that people have submitted as well. You can go to that very same website and either download or stream the episode, or you can subscribe directly from iTunes. Also, from the MarsAttacksRadio.com website, you can subscribe to Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and all the other lovely social media sites that we have accounts on. Feel free to tell all your friends about us. We'd be more than happy if you did so and help spread the good word of Mars Attacks. And, um, again, if you want to check out previous episodes, just remember that we kicked things off way back when with Metallica's and Justice for All. We went on to Prong's Cleansing, Queens of the Stone Age Songs for the Deaf, Van Halen's Van Halen 2, Enema by Tool, Megadeth's Peace Cells, Judas Priest's Painkiller, Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil, and now... 
Pantera's Far Beyond Driven. And like I've mentioned in the past, some of the choices on this album's list is very obvious. Some aren't. You have things like Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You're either going to go with Shout at the Devil or you're going to go with Dr. Feelgood. Something like Metallica and Justice for All could be sort of questionable for some people because they're diehards and really, you know, love those first four albums. Or, I'm sorry, the first three albums before Injustice for All. They loved the first four, and then once the Black Album came along, you know, they went in another direction. But the Black Album is a very important album. For God's sake, it is the most sold metal album of all time. Um... With Pantera, everyone focuses on cowboys and vulgar display. Vulgar display was actually just reissued as a deluxe uh, package. And interestingly enough, it went back into the Billboard Top 200. So that's actually a pretty cool little tidbit there. Anyway, Vulgar Display, an album that after the years have gone by, maybe people focus on Five Minutes Alone and I'm Broken, and that's it. It's an album that doesn't have the same notoriety that the other two albums do, and that's sort of why, you know, everyone just talks about Vulgar Display to no end. Everyone talks about hearing, you know, Cemetery Gates for the first time, but this album was the very first number one metal album that was this heavy. I mean, before this, you could argue... Van Halen's Fern Lawful Carnal Knowledge was number one, and uh, Skid Row's Slave to the Grind. Neither one of those two were as heavy as this album, and this is when, you know, Pantera really sort of jumped off the ledge and just went heavier and heavier from this album onward. So, this is sort of where they got the ball rolling uh, with what would precede this album, with what would become. Reinventing the Steel and the Great Southern Roadkill, or Trendkill, Jesus, Roadkill, I'm sorry. I was thinking of the rattlesnake on the cover. (laughs) Anyway, this band also helped keep metal alive. You'll hear people mention that, that when it wasn't cool to be metal, or when a lot of bands started going in other directions, Pantera held pat and again got heavier and still got a number one album. So that's a credit to you know, their fan base and uh, to their music. And you're going to hear from Rex Brown later on in the show talk about that. You'll also hear Gene Hoagland discuss this. You'll hear Alan Tecchio from Hades Nonfiction, uh, Seven Witches. He's going to be playing over in Germany at a festival uh, under the name... Alan Tecchio and Friends, A Night of Hades, which should be really, really cool. We also have the author, Martin Popoff, chiming in. Uh, Mitch LaFon from Brave Words. And we have Aaron Griffith, who's going to kick things off from Signal to Noise and Iron City Rocks. Both fellow members of the Cast Iron Ring. Just want to send a shout-out to those guys at the Cast Iron Ring. And if you guys don't know what the Cast Iron Ring is, it is a network of podcasts um, that we just sort of, you know, try to help spread the word of metal and hard rock. And, you know, um, it's all about, 
you know, spreading the word of music that you love. You know, I don't feel that I'm in competition with any of these people. Uh, there are other shows out there that may feel that every other podcast out there is a threat to their, you know, whatever, their fan base and whatnot. But I think there are enough musicians out there, enough bands out there, that it's just cool to, you know, support one another, help cross-promote. And, um, you know, for example, we have Iron City Rocks this week has interview with Wednesday 13 the guys from heavy half hour they have an episode called mayhem Um, and let's see they have the Los Angeles luminaries a swath from Sweden returning of the black blade featuring the music of Brendan small behold the monolith grand magus and even more grand magus spawn of Possession, Unleashed, and Seattle Zone Skeletor. So there you go. That's what Heavy Half Hour has got going. They have all that compacted into a half hour. Radioactive Metal has an episode dedicated to Swedish death metal. And we go back to my last episode here with members of The Skull, who, if you didn't check out the last episode, are Eric Wagner and Ole Olsen from the band Trouble. And we had Mark Zavon from Kill Devil Hill, a band that Rex Brown is currently in. So there we go. Let's play a little bit more of Strength Beyond Strength and then jump into Aaron Griffith's comments regarding Far Beyond Strength. record for me was where um, 
the band really solidified their sound and the direction that they were going. I, I'm a big Dimebag fan. If anybody's read my blog at all, um, they know that I'm um, kind of almost slightly obsessed with Dimebag, uh, what's going on. And I mean, part of it was 1990 happens, right? It's the year I graduated high school. I'm a bass player, but I was always a fan of guitar rock and guitar players. Like guitar heroes have ruled my life. Guys like Ingve, guys like Eddie Van Halen, you know, that sort of stuff. I was always looking for the next most amazing player. And the 80s was just littered with that. You know, it's littered with it. And so the 90s happened and you think, okay, metal's on top. This is going to be the big thing. And then all of a sudden, 92 hits, 94 hits, and then it's all gone. It's all it's all grunge. You know, and Dime and, and the boys here in Pantera, they were the ones who kept everything going no matter what. And they were able to keep it popular. They were able to do a fresh spin on it. You know, and so when I think about Far Beyond Driven, I mean, Cowboys from Hell, good record, but you can still hear the um, the hair metal to it. You can still picture in Anselmo in his spandex doing his little falsetto screams there, you know. And then you get um, you get Vulgar Display, amazing record. You know, I mean, when you when you look at the track, um, you know, fucking hostile, that's one of the most amazing tracks to me ever just with the rhythm and, and the ferocity they come through. But then you get to Far Beyond Driven. And you can tell that, okay, they're relaxing a little bit. They're not going to go, you know, 110 miles an hour in every song. And they're really going to solidify themselves with a sound, with almost making like a noise scape kind of thing. And they're going to fall back with a groove. Like, this is where you hear these guys. This is where you really hear that Van Van Halen influence to me. Because, I mean, these guys are heavily influenced by Van Halen. They love the Van Halen brothers. And this is where you hear, you know, Vinny and Dime pull back and start to do more grooves. And, you know, I mean, t take take songs like I'm Broken. Just a phenomenal riff. That down, 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 down. And just... The um the, the the main verse for the just riding this this almost noise riff, you know, it, it was just it was phenomenal. I mean, and what what also stands out for me here was this is also the time when Dime switched from using the Dean guitars to coming into his own Washburn line, and you could kind of hear. The, the sound difference, like the, the Dean sounds were always very, very clear, very clean, very, very precise. And when he came to the Washburns, that's where you got more of that, that gritty, ballsy, in-your-face sound. But then you take something like um, Five Minutes Alone, like like another just great riffing track. And it, it's just the sound that they came together as a band. And this is where I'd like to take a moment and talk about Rex. Like Rex, to me, being in Pantera for as long as he had been and just what he'd done, you know, everybody talks about Dime. And then next they talk about probably um, Anselmo because he was just such a powerful front man. You know, he, he just had that. that, And of course, you know, people talk about Vinny and what a great drummer Vinny was because you got the whole, you know, Alex Eddie dynamic going on with Vinny and, and Dime. But Rex gets left out of a lot of discussions. And it was hitting me the other day as I was think, thinking about this record that um, Rex is kind of like the, the heavy metal um, Michael Anthony. Right. Very true. You know, I mean, they've really copped Van Halen right down to the, um, 
you know, they, they totally caught the Van Halen formula with this lineup. I mean, you have the insanely charismatic front man in Phil Anselmo. You've got the guitar god that nobody else can, can, can even begin to replicate yet. And um, you've got the the brother, who's the drummer, who's, a, again, a phenomenal drummer, but slightly overshadowed by how great his brother is. You know, and then you have the bass player in the background that nobody gives a second thought about. But if he wasn't there, would it be the same band? You know, very true. Yeah. And Rex's performances on all these records were, were, you know, just great bass work. And he did exactly what needed to be done to support, you know, to support the song and that Pantera sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um Maybe similar to what we were discussing with Megadeth, maybe the vision was Dimes or Vinny's or maybe even Phil's, but you know, even if it's someone's vision, you still need the player to execute, you know, what needs to be done, and someone in in this case like Rex to hold down, you know, to to sort of be the glue to bring all the pieces together uh, with the band, not only in the studio but later on in a live atmosphere. Yeah, completely agreed. You know, and I mean, um, when you when you take the things that was going on like in the in the mid '90s here, like this this is the album that solidified Pantera as you know metal gods. And this is the album that said, okay, they are here to stay. They're here for the long haul. Um, you know, I remember when Dime launched his signature line through Washburn. Um, I own one of the Washburn Dime Bolt guitars. I'm in the process of kind of getting it tricked out, and I plan on upgrading the pickups. I'm planning on making a carbon copy of what he would have been playing at the time. You know, because um, I just, you know, and I, I remember sitting down to talk to my wife about it. She's like, but you're a bass player. You know, when I started pursuing this guitar, I said, I know. I said, but just Dime was just, you know, such an influential player. I mean, even being a bassist, Guys like Dime are what gave me hope that, okay, music's going to swing back around. I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy a lot of the stuff in the 90s. I mean, you know, from being a bass player, the 90s was the best time to be a bass player because that's when you had guys like Flea, guys like Les Claypool, and some other great bassists going on. But you didn't have people pushing the guitar the way it was pushed the previous decade. You know, so I picked up my Dime guitar, and I don't know if you've ever played one of the Washburns, but I tell you, like, it's a guitar that is just built for speed. Like, every time I pick it up, I can I can think of this record and I can just picture Dime just flying all over the neck. Because, I mean, I, I've never felt a neck quite like the neck on this guitar. You know, and it just, it's one of those things where Dime was never happy with his sound. He was always trying to, you know, try, trying to try something new. Well, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's try a new shape. You know, but he had those staples. He always used the Bill Lawrence pickups. He always used the Duncan 59 in the neck. You know, there, there are certain things that weren't going to change, but he was always going to try little things. Well, let, what happens if we replace the tremolo? What happens if we do this? You know, um, yeah, I just, I mean, it was, it was amazing. And then take the, the, the Planet Caravan cover. You know, that's the last track on the record. I got to say that threw me off. You know, I was not expecting to hear that and to hear them slow down and do such a soulful, you know, cover song. I mean, that that I think that the inclusion of that on the record was just a great, a, a great addition to that to that record. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and it's interesting because they've done you know a few cover songs over the year and uh, over the years, and they've all been great, and they've all been sort of panterified, you know, uh, whether. 
it's Planet Caravan. They also did um, A Hole in the Sky, if I'm not mistaken, by Sabbath. And uh, him and Vinny did some Kiss stuff as well. So, you know, everything that they did, they, they really put their touch on it. Um, and it always ended up sounding great where you have others that, you know, try to cover and make it their own. And, you know, it, it makes you run to the uh, fast forward button because you can't get it off fast enough. Yeah. But um, and, and as far as, uh, you know, being a bass player and wanting, um, you know, to have the guitar exactly like Dime or whatnot, I actually mentioned this to John when I spoke to him because apparently he has a um, a replica of the guitar that uh, Eddie Van Halen used on Van Halen 2, which was subsequently buried with Dimebag Daryl, and um, I actually have a replica of that guitar as well. So just trying to uh, tie that all in, and actually I would consider myself more a drummer than anything else. So there are still bands or players that you gravitate towards because they've been so influential, and even though it's not maybe your your native instrument per se, it still makes you want to... uh, you know, have something special in place that, you know, that person has meant something to you. So, yeah. You know, and I mean, when you, when you look at like the EVH guitar from, from Van Halen too, um, and you look at Dimes guitar, like those guitars are just as iconic as the players who played them. You know, I mean, every guitar that Eddie had was just was like um, the black, white and red was still my favorite. will probably always be, I think it's pretty because they also at that time in the eighties you could get the Michael Jordan Air Jordan shoes that kind of matched it, so um, so I think that's why it sticks out. But I mean those guitars are so iconic and that crazy Dean ML, I never saw anybody play one of those. Like I was aware of the shape, I knew it was out there, but I'm like, who's going to play this guitar? And here comes this guy, um, you know, out of nowhere at the beginning of the nineties. I'm like, oh, well that's who's going to play it. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, so you know you look at the shape and you can't help but think like ZZ top. And I'm like, is he going to be the ZZ top of metal? And, um, yeah, he kind of was, <laughs> you know, I'm surprised you don't remember, uh, Robert Cavazzo of hurricane using this guitar. I mean, uh, <laughs> that wasn't as impactful as, uh, as dime. <laughs> yeah, I know. Go figure. Right. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Like, like, cause I know there's other people that have played it over the years. Never, right. never stands out for me near as much as Dime. When I see that yeah. shape, I associate it with Dime. Yeah, and and what you said there with um with ZZ Top, you know, I've seen ZZ Top use it, but it's usually you know some sort of a uh, burst of some sort, you know, either like a tobacco sunburst or 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 something to that effect, you know. And he came out. At least for most of us, we knew him with or first got acquainted with him with Cowboys from Hell. And it was, you know, the ML that was blue with the lightning bolt and the kiss sticker. And it immediately, you know, screamed metal in your face, you know? Yeah. And and it's funny, like, um, like I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Texas Hippie Coalition, but um, I'm driving home one night and I hear, you know, the Texas Hippie Coalition come on the radio and I didn't know who they were. And I hit my info button. I'm reading the satellite radio stuff. I'm like, geez. I've got to look these guys up. So I go look them up. And um, the first thing I notice is their guitarist, Randy Cooper, is playing, playing a, um, a Dean. He's playing a Dean ML. And 
you really didn't see after Dime died, nobody was playing those guitars. Like you don't see a lot of famous people did. Like Trivium was playing them a little bit for a while, and then it kind of kind of died out again. And so he's got got a Dean, and I'm looking at it going, okay. And you listen to the sound. You listen to the sound of what's going on with with the way that Randy plays, and you hear similar influences of what Dime was doing. And so I got the chance to talk to him. I said, well, hey, can we talk about your Dean ML? You know, I said, I haven't seen anybody play since Dime. And he was telling me this great story about the um, the Dean that he plays, that Dimebag actually helped him get that guitar. Huh, no kidding. Like, he, you know, he, he'd seen Pantera back in the club days, so him and Dime kind of knew each other. And um, he was a guitar show. He's like, hey, man, he's like, you know, you, you'd said before you'd help me try and find, find a, a decent Dean. You know, what can we do? He's like, we'll tell you what, let's, let's see what we can do here today. And him and Dime went around together and played all these different Dean MLs. Until they found the um, the dean that, that Randy has, and what ran, when you know when um, Dimebag died, Randy um, got two dimes. He got a 1966 dime and a um, a 2004 dime, and he glued them to the top of the headstock on his dean. You know, and that's that's been his tribute to him. So I mean, you know, it's amazing the influence that Dimebag has had. You know, even beyond. You know, his, his untimely death there in 2004. Hey, what's up? This is Selenos from Dima Borger. And hey, this is Eric Johnson. Hey, hey, it's Robbie from the Gigadol. Hi, this is Joe Satriani. Hey, this is Jerry from the Mr. Hey, Headbangers. This is Rudy Sarzo. Hi, this is Steve Morse from Deep Purple. Hi, this is Wild Mick Brown. And uh, I'm the drummer for Doc and Ted Nugent. Hey, this is Tim Vijay Malmsey. What's up? It's Andy Fitch from Blackfell Bride. Hi, this is Paul from Cradle of Filth. And you're listening to Iron City Rocks. IronCityRocks.com. Come, we think you get the idea.
Becoming, the second track off of Far Beyond Driven. With the first few episodes, I mixed things up and received all types of emails from people saying, oh, you know, the album is supposed to be played in a certain order, and why are you, you know, changing the order and this and that. And I mean, it's cool. All right, I'll, so I'll stick to the original order. No artists have ever complained, but in any event, uh, we're following the exact order of the album. Up next, we do have comments from Martin Popoff. Martin Popoff is a successful author, has all types of books on Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, so on and so forth. You can find them on his website, martinpopoff.com, and that is Popoff spelled P-O-P-O-F-F. And interestingly enough, I saw him a few months back on the Metal Evolution um, program on VH1. Enjoyed the first few episodes, and I don't know, um, just the, some idiosyncrasies that just sort of drove me nuts with the show. Um, I, I think that they did a, a good job, but I don't know if it was scripting or what, but I don't know. I just thought it was sort of dumb that they did power metal. Well, I'm here to check out, you know, what power metal is all about. Well, if you're creating a category on power metal, shouldn't you already know what it's all about before you check out a festival? And not for nothing, but um, I know Sam Dunn has this big issue with glam metal and whatnot. You know, um, I don't know what's more foolish, jumping around in chainmail and... You know, and swords and shit, uh, as opposed to puffing your hair out. I mean, if that makes you happy, you know, so be it, you know. (laughs) I just think it's sort of dumb that there's sort of this whole thing. Well, you know, I guess new metal, um, you know, what's worse, new metal or glam metal? Well, they both had cool things and they both had bad things, you know. And like with every other, you know, form of metal or music, you know, the originators usually aren't that bad. It's the fourth, fifth, sixth generation copies that absolutely suck. So, you know, take that for what you will. You know, that's my opinion. And if you have a different opinion, feel free to, you know, drop us a line here. Input at MarsAttacksRadio.com or you can leave your comments right on the homepage there associated to this specific column. In any event, we're going to listen to a little bit more of Becoming before jumping into the comments from the great Martin Papa. Yeah. 
Pantera far beyond driven. This was a really interesting time for Pantera, almost the most exciting, fraught, chaotic, druggy time for the band. It was amazing that I believe this was the first uh, metal album to ever go to number one. Um, maybe I'm getting that wrong. I'm not sure. But uh, this was a, an extremely extreme metal album. It had highs and lows. It was thrashy. Um, Phil was writing some of his most depressing lyrics um really really cool album scary album scary band at that time um everything about them just sort of spoke wildly bad vibes and wildly good vibes at the same time i guess the good vi- good vibes would come from from your uh your you know beloved Don- what i what i like about that album in context with the other ones is that the the following two the last two pantera albums would not be as well regarded as far beyond driven and then frankly far beyond driven is considered um, a little bit uh, out there, a little bit far beyond driven, I suppose, because really Vulgar and Cowboys are the ones that people love with their heart, I suppose, mostly of this band. But probably this album is the one that people like, you know, love with their intelligence more um, uh, in, within the catalog. Oh, 
Up next, Mitch LaFon from Brave Words. Mitch does a lot of great interviews with people and then has the lovely task of typing them up. Speaking of which, uh, one thing that I forgot to mention earlier on the show is my association to Metal Army America. Uh, There was just an interview that I did with Chris Barnes from Six Feet Under, formerly of Cannibal Corpse. And uh, it made the ways around um, Blabbermouth and a few other sites yesterday, so I'm thankful to them for mentioning that. Um, the interview was done for Metal Army America. I actually just put in an article up, or actually a three-part article, regarding the Sonosphere here in Spain that I attended this past weekend. And... Uh, just broke it up into three different sections, did day one of music, what I caught, day two, and then the overall experience as an attendee, um, just some things that, you know, I don't know, when you go to festivals, you maybe expect certain things, or you'd wish that the promoters would do certain things, it just sucks that you get there, and they promise certain things, and they just don't hold up, and this has nothing to do um, with being able to or not interview anyone at the festival, uh, being given press passes or not, uh, because, quite frankly, I'm still a fan of the music first. If I can interview someone while I'm there, that's cool. If not, I mean, so be it. I'm still there to, you know, check out some cool music. And um, I think the promoters' last tour international really dropped the boat with a lot of things. So if you want to read my review, go to... Uh, Metal Army America, that is Metal. Uh, you can actually get to there a few different ways. There's metal-army.com or Metal Army America. Or go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and you'll find a link on the right-hand side of the homepage. In any event, I got to interview Chris Barnes and I typed up the interview. I'm no expert at it. Mr. Mitch LaFon is. Uh, He's been under the weather lately, so we'd like to wish him a speedy recovery from everyone here at the Mars Attacks podcast. Uh, I actually spoke to him last week regarding a different album that he's been highlighting, uh, which is Kiss's Revenge, which uh, just hit its 20th anniversary. It's not part of the classic albums column, but I wanted to interview him regarding... Uh, you know, what people he spoke to that may have surprised him, uh, what things sort of maybe, you know, made him look at things differently with the album. Uh, Mitch has a lot of connections and goes way back with some of the members that are currently in KISS and other former members. So it's cool to listen to him discuss different things uh, regarding the band and uh, good, bad, and indifferent. So it's just cool to... um, Get another KISS fan on the horn and talk to them about KISS. Anyway, this time around, obviously Mitch is going to talk about Pantera's Far Beyond Driven. So let's get into a little bit more of Five Minutes Alone and then get into the segment with Mitch.
Oh, yo, yo, Pantera. I got to tell you, I, I've, I never really understood Pantera. I saw them the first time opening up for Skid Row. And, I mean, I think that, that speaks volumes. I was going to see Skid Row to hear sort of hard, melodic bass rock done really well, done by a, a singer who's, you know, half crazy. And uh, Pantera in the front, man, it was just... It was just really harsh, harsh, harsh music. And, you know, listen, I hung out with the Pantera guys for one show. Anthrax was opening for them in Montreal. And, you know, I went and I had taken Charlie and Frankie and driven them around town to record stores and stuff during the afternoon and went to the venue and, you know, uh, sat down for for supper and catering and Dimebag was there and, and Vinny was there and... You know, I could appreciate the whole family thing that it was, and all the guys were, you know, all laughing and giggling, and the Anthrax guys and the Pantera guys, without Phil, by the way, were in the dressing room all shooting the shit and, you know, trading licks and, and rehearsing. And But that whole screaming Phil and Samo, I'm a, you know, an angry guy thing, I just didn't get it. I really just didn't get it. And, you know, I can understand that, that, they have a big fan base, but again, it's one of those where I think it's sort of like Opeth, where musically it can't be denied. Rex, Vinny, Dimebag together are a musical force. But once once um, Phil starts singing, I'm out. I, I, <laughs> I can't I can't do the whole growly, screamy thing. I mean, you know, if I want if I want that, I'll just listen to the Cookie Monster on, on uh, Sesame Street. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Pantera. I can appreciate that it opened doors and it led to, you know, that kind of uh, more aggressive metal coming through. And I, I and I can appreciate that Dimebag is one of the greatest guitarists known to metal, and Rex and Vinny are, you know, badass bottom end uh, players and the whole thing. But but overall, Pantera just. It, it just missed it with me. I do have one funny story, though, is uh, they did an album called Reinventing the Steel. Right. And uh, I got an advanced copy back, uh, I guess I guess was 2002 or 2003 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went down, uh, I was invited by Sebastian Bach to see him perform on uh, Broadway. And I forget if it was Jekyll and Hyde or Rocky Horror. I forget which one it was. Right. And I gave him the album backstage, and he was just so thrilled. I mean, he gave me the, oh, dude, I'm so stoked. This is incredible. And, and uh, you know, we uh, we drove around town in his limousine, and he had the driver put it into the, the CD player, and, and he was just going nuts, banging his head. And, and, you know, he sent me some emails and called me at home and said, oh, my God, this is so incredible. And so I, I, I sort of got to see how a real fan reacted to their music. Right. And uh, I could see how it creates uh, an excitement, but uh, I'd still rather listen to Shout at the Devil by Motley Crue. I gotta say. say.
Up next, the great, great Dave Reffitt. He's like a diamond in the rough, an unknown commodity to a lot of people. Uh, great, great guitarist. He writes for Guitar World. He's got an album out there now uh, called Shredding the Envelope. I'm sorry, it's called The Call of the Flame. Shredding the Envelope is the, what, is the name of the project that originally went under. Excuse me. But uh, you'll find... A lot of awesome players on there. Mike Mangini of Dream Theater plays the drums throughout the album. Uh, Dave himself sings, plays guitar, plays bass, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Uh, Have you ever heard Chris Poland and Glenn Drover play on a song before? You're scratching your head and thinking, hmm, well, they both played in Megadeth, but not during the same time period. Well, Dave's got them both on a track along with him. He's got George Lynch on there. He's got a ton of other people. Check that out. It's up on iTunes. Um, Again, Call the Flame uh, by Dave Reffitt. Uh, You can also go to DaveReffitt.com. Check him out. And you can also check him out on Facebook. He's very, very accessible. Really great guy. And as I always say, I owe a lot to him because uh, he helped arrange a lot of the people that I speak to during these various episodes. So there you go. So we're going to get into the second half of I'm Broken and check out what Dave Reffitt has to say regarding Far Beyond Driven. Pantera, um, anybody that has heard me play, Dimebag's a huge influence on me. Um, I've even I've got the Dimebag sig- you know, signature pickup in my guitar, the uh, Dimebucker. And uh, I just always loved his tone, man. And he was just from another planet. He's another one of those guys like, um, like Eddie Van Halen who just totally changed the game. You know, like very few players, can you say, totally changed everything. You know, I would say like... Um, Ingve, you know, Eddie Van Halen, and then Dimebag was another one that just, like, fucking crushed everything, you know? 
And uh, this album in particular, Far Beyond Driven, the um, the first thing that strikes me about it is, is just the, the production is really, really good. And uh, Vinnie Paul, you know, I know played a, b- a big part in that. He's a, a very smart guy, and uh, he's very particular about how he mics his drums and everything. And um, the drum part on Becoming, for instance, like, is just insane. Like, he's a, such a great player. And um, I love a lot of the songs on there. The Shedding Skin's a great tune. I love their version of Planet Caravan, the, the uh, Black Sabbath song. Strength Beyond Strength, man, that's just a crushing song. And um, I had the pleasure of seeing them twice. I was so glad I got to see them in, in my lifetime because a lot of my friends who are huge Pantera guys never did. And um, they played twice at the Denver Coliseum when I was living out there. And uh, what's so cool about them was, like, they were playing arenas, dude, and, like, nobody knew who the fuck they were. You know what I mean? Like, like they didn't – like, I mean, you asked ask the average Joe on the street who Pantera, they had no clue. So it was kind of like our little secret, you know, the metal community. Like when they came, like when this album hit number one on the Billboard charts, it just blew people's heads off. Like all the record company execs were like scrambling, like, man, who are these guys? You know, they had no clue. Meanwhile, they're, you know, they're pouring millions and millions of bucks promoting other people trying to get them to that level and pantera did it with just good old-fashioned word of mouth because they were just that damn good you know and um yeah i saw them twice they had slayer opening for them both times and they just killed it man and it was just like a over-the-top rock show like arena rock they had um i snuck down on the floor so i could be right up front and the pyro, the pyro, like, when it would go off, like, it would just make you sweat. It was so hot. Like, instantly, you'd be sweating. And um, Dimebag had um, one of his roadies during, you know, between breaks when Phil was talking or whatever, he would have, like, the roadie would bring out, like, a, like one of those McDonald's trays or whatever full of shots. Dimebag would just be doing tons of shots or whatever. One of the best live guitarists I've ever seen, though if not the best. I mean, he just personified rock and roll, man. What else can you say about him?
Good friends and a bottle of pills that's coming off of Far Beyond Driven by Pantera. Up next, we have Alan Tecchio. Now, if you didn't hear what I said initially, Alan is going to be at the Headbanger Open Air Festival, uh, which takes place in Germany from July 26th through the 28th. And he's going to be playing there as a Night of Hades music with Alan Tecchio and Friends. People that will be playing with him are Kevin Bolenbach, who has been the de facto bass player in Hades for a while now. He's also from nonfiction. Ron Lipnicki, who played on the Hades album Damnation, is also part of Overkill. Jack Frost from Seven Witches will be playing as well. And Sean Tarr will be joining them as well. Uh, our good friend Dan Lorenzo decided that he didn't want to... Uh, do the show this time around. So Alan's going over and representing the band. So um, friends with both sides <laughs> of uh, of the Hades party there. Friends with Dan Lorenzo and with Alan Tecchio. So both of them have lent comments to the Classic Albums column. Dan has a really cool story regarding um, running into Phil Anselmo at the old Concrete Forums when nonfiction had just come about or had just come around to the Concrete uh, Foundations. And um, it's actually pretty cool. Go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and check it out. Uh, in any event, we're going to get into a little bit more of Good Friends and a Bottle of Pills, and we'll check out Alan Tecchio's Further, I guess by going that more, that much more extreme. But uh, it wasn't 
something I took to right away when it first came out. It, it took a few listens, and I really only got into a handful of songs off of it. It wasn't like the other records where I've listened front to back. Slaughtered by Pantera. Moving forward, Gene Hoagland. Gene Hoagland is a legendary drummer. Uh, been in all types of bands. He actually says it on the ID that he did for my show. Uh, says, I'm Gene Hoagland. I've played with pretty much every one of your favorite metal bands. And that pretty much sums Gene Hoagland up. Because that's exactly... Uh, what he's all about. Anyway, um, we're going to get into his segment here. Uh, he has some great, great tidbits regarding, uh, as always, regarding this band and different things that uh, surround his history or his upbringing as a musician. He's always a pleasure to discuss different things with. And this album is no different. Uh, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. If he loves something, he'll tell you. If he hates it, he'll tell you that too. So he makes it. He makes everything all worthwhile. I've been saying this from the start. If there's no one else's comments that you listen to, listen to Gene Hoagland's comments because they absolutely kick ass. They make this whole thing worthwhile. So here we go. We're going to get into a little bit more of Slaughtered by Pantera, and then get into Gene Hoagland's comments. Ow! 
one, I, you know, it's like I, I like Pantera. I like Cowboys from Hell, and I, I was always familiar with Pantera up until then, you know, like the Metal Magic and the Projects in the Jungle and all the other stuff that they did. I was familiar, you know, the Power Metal record. I was familiar with all that stuff. And, you know, I thought Cowboys from Hell was a really killer record. Um, that kind of had the most joy on it, where it kind of sounded like they were having the most fun and uh, Vulgar Display came out and it was like, okay, they're ramping up their heaviness a bit. And then I kind of thought with Farrakhan Driven, like, okay, now they're trying to be the heaviest band in the world. And hey, guys, there's a lot of other bands that just have this naturally coming to them, you know? So it, it kind of sounded like they were forcing it a little bit. But I really dug the song Strength Beyond Strength. I thought that was a great song. And, um, but all the other ones on there, you know, Phil's vocals got super dark, super heavy. You know, the melody, which was really intrinsic to, to Pantera, was kind of getting lost just a little bit on that album. And, you know, I kind of I kind of thought like they were getting just a little bit, not so much out of their lead. You know, you could kind of see the tension kind of building with within the band where you could see one guy kind of pulling for let's be the heaviest thing in the world and the other guy's just going, hey, man, we like Van Halen. We like to party, you know? Uh, so, um, you know, I think that was the last of, you know, and then, you know, Great Southern Train Kill came out after that and I, you know, you're not really sure how much more of a band they could be after that, you know? So, uh but, you know, they, they stuck it out for a long time. And, you know, of course, Dimebag is one of the greatest guitarists of all time in metal. You know, but what a fantastic style. What a great riff writer. Um, you know, um, I guess the thing with me, especially around the Far Beyond Driven era, I can like a band as much as I can like them, but sometimes their fans drive you nuts. You know, like... <laughs> yeah. That's the reason why, you know, like, I grew up listening to rock and roll. I was nine years old going to high school. Like, I was in high school when I was in nine, when I was nine. I was in fourth grade. They started sending me to high school. And the most, the thing I was most excited about that was that finally, I'm going to be around some people that can talk rock and roll with me because I was deeply into rock at the time. What is all now known as classic rock. And um, right. the thing that would always drive me crazy, I was asking everybody in my high school, what's your favorite band? What's your favorite band? What's your favorite band? And most people would be like, uh, I don't know, dude. Zeppelin. Zeppelin's cool. Pink Floyd, dude. Yeah, I see Pink Floyd. You know, Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin fans drove me nuts because they were fucking retards. And <laughs> I gotta admit, you know, I'm not going to call Pantera fans fucking retards, but, uh, you know, they were the guys that would take off their shirt and fucking flex their muscles. Oh, we're going to go to the pit, dude, for And the band's pretty cool, but, boy, your fans just don't do you guys any service when they're out of the show. You know, they're usually the meatheads that are pounding on the metalheads, you know. Right. So, but, you know, and, and, you know, when Pantera put that one out, I mean, the kudos to them first, you know, the heaviest album to, you know, debut at number one that's awesome you know good for them and Pantera yeah. was really good for the scene because they you know they they you know they they flew the metal flag when the metal flag was not being flown by anybody else by uh, you know a band of that uh stature you know and that's cool you know I mean good for them they helped keep metal alive when a lot of bands were just you know denying the metal you know a lot of the the 
you know, bands of stature. I mean, metal never went away. I mean, we just went back to being underground. We all crawled under our rocks, you know, if, if <laughs> you know, and, and all that. So, but, uh, you know, they were flying the flag always. And like I was just telling my girl, the coolest thing about the Far Beyond Driven Tour, the live show, was they had as their uh, curtain that would go up after the, the, the support bands would go up, you know, they, they'd raise their curtain. And their curtain was all of the banners that were tossed up on stage by the fans over the last few tours. Huh. And that was their curtain. So, you know, you could be at the Pantera show going, hey, man, we threw that up on our last tour. There it is, you know. And I thought that was really cool. That's a really cool way to, you know, pay homage to your fans. And I, I thought that was really sharp. So, you know, kudos to Pantera, man very cool and and that one of the last points you mentioned was sort of the deciding factor to pick this album over the others was that it was the first real heavy album to be number one sure yeah i don't think another band had a debut at number one that heavy until uh i guess it was probably iowa from slipknot you know hey a number one album that starts off with a blast beat good for you slipknot where you go
a little bit of 25 years coming off of Far Beyond Driven. And I just realized that we skipped over hard lines and sunken cheeks. Actually, in the end, we're not going to be able to play all of the tracks um, due to the fact that we really only have two more segments left. Um, one of those is going to be playing a caravan. We're going to use that to wind the show down. But we'll see how we can fit in all of the other tracks here. Um, in any event, the reason to do shows like this is to have you check out you know, albums that maybe you've never heard of before, revisit an album that you haven't heard of uh, previously. I just said the same thing twice. Uh, what I mean is revisit an album that you haven't heard in a long time uh, or check out an album for the first time and maybe you don't like this album, but... Uh, you'll check out something else by them and get turned on to it. Again, the idea here is to just talk up cool music and, and turn you on to it. Because in the end, you know, I always say, you know, I'm a fan first. So, you know, that's that. In um, any event, I've mentioned that we have a bunch of people that have contributed comments on the website. We have... Ron Bumblefoot Thaw of Guns N' Roses. We have Dan Lorenzo, as I mentioned before. Uh, we have, let's see, Peter Ellis of Monument. Um, we also have John Leone of White Wizard. Eric Kluber of Gypsy Hawk. Uh, we have Phil Rind of Sacred Reich. Let's see here. We have Mitz from Madball. We have uh, Scott Middleton of Cancer Bats and Jay uh, Schwarzer of Cancer Bats as well. Seth Thacker, former guitarist of Straight Line Stitch. Who else? Scott LePage, formerly of Hades, just sent me a cool CD called Ministry of Hate. Be touching upon that shortly in an upcoming episode of the podcast, so keep an eye out for that. Chris Bierman of uh, Benedictum. We also have Jim Florentine, great comedian and host of That Metal Show. We also have Raul from the Spanish band Marlene. Uh, we have, who else? JL from the Spanish band Wayne. We have Fur from the Spanish uh, musical blog, Fuck Yeah. Actually, it's pronounced Fuck Yeah, but it's spelled Fuck Yeah <laughs> in English. But anyway, you get the point. Uh, what else? We have Hondro Storm from Storms to Come. We have David Lozano from Propaganda. Those are all Spanish bands. We have Mickey Pannone from, um, he's from Benedictum. We have Owen Williams from Zarath, I believe is how you pronounce the band. We have Steve Smythe of Forbidden, formerly of Testament. We have Bat from the band Glider. We have Clay Winthrop from the band Van Gogh, Ken from Piercing Metal, great, great blog, check that out. We have Eaton from uh, Cerebral Cerebral Metalhead, excuse me, he also writes for Metal Sucks and a bunch of other uh, sites. We have Grover from The Number of the Blog, we also have Wayne Finley from the Michael Shanker Group. We have Doug Gibson from Metal Underground. We also have Jason Bittner from Shadows Fall. Check out their new albums. One of the best things that has come out this year, in my opinion. We have Jose Izquierdo and uh, David 
Alvarez from Angela Sepatrida, our lead singer of the band, uh, Guillermo on the show a few episodes back. We also have their drummer. We actually don't have their drummer on this one. My bad. (laughs) I'm going through a bunch of code and picking these names out. Uh, We have Jorge Salan. He is the former guitarist of Mago de Oz, uh, essentially Wizard of Oz in Spanish, a famous progressive band from Spain. He actually studied at Berkeley as well. Um, He's added his comments. We have Aaron DeGoff from the, I would say death metal. It's a black metal band, Crystal Moors from Spain. And uh, that's pretty much it. You can check them out on MarsAttacksRadio.com. Uh, what do you say we check out a little bit of, let's see, uh, Shredding Skin off of the album before coming back and giving you some more info and then jumping to that final segment with, uh, Rex Brown. final set of comments during this episode are going to be done by Rex Brown. Played on this album, was the bass player. Uh, also has a new band called Kill Devil Hill. We've had him, Vinny Apice, on the show twice, and Mark Zavon, who was on the last episode, discussing Kill Devil Hill. Check that album out. To me, it's one of the best hard rock albums to come out this year. It isn't Pantera, but Uh, It's definitely something cool that I recommend you guys check out. And what's the point in doing something exactly the same? It's never going to be the same. I mean, there's all this hype now about possibly getting together with Zach Wilde. I can say this from personal experience. I've seen bands that I've always wanted to see uh, live, and it was dreadful because it shattered any memory that I had of them in their heyday. 
So I'd almost prefer that they not get back together and mess up any any image uh, that you know I might have regarding the band. You know, leave it as is. You know, sometimes it's just better to leave things alone. So that's my opinion. The one thing that I will say about the Kill Devil Hill album. It really made me appreciate Rex's playing a lot more because he's doing different things on this album that really highlight him. And when you know you go back and listen to the Pantera stuff, as others have said during this specific episode, uh, maybe he's the one that doesn't have as much focus on him, but he's there. He's very present. And maybe he doesn't have as much focus on him because maybe the media hasn't talked his part up as much. And I know that there's been... You know, different things said about, you know, whether he was along for the ride or, you know, whatever. You know, I don't know. I uh, The first thing that I said to him was that I didn't give a crap about any, you know, drama or whatnot. I just wanted to focus on the music. Um, could I have prodded? Sure, I could have. You could have also told me to go scratch. So, you know, I just wanted to talk about the music, which is what these episodes are all about. And uh, I think it's cool that I got him to discuss this album in the end, so there you go, um, what we're gonna do, like I said, you know, we have a bunch of different tracks that we're not gonna be able to get to, like I said, Hard Line, Sunken Cheeks, uh, we skipped over, by mistake, um, we just did Shedding Skin, and we have three left, and I already said what we're gonna wrap the show up with, so, uh, let's, let's go with, um, Use my third arm, and then we'll get into the track. Or, I'm sorry, we'll get into the portion with Rex Brown.
basically with Far Beyond Driven, it was the first metal album or really album of that extremity to hit number one. Um, how much did that and being nominated for a Grammy catch you off guard when you found both of those things out? Um, you know, we, you know, we toured so extensively through both of the first two records that, right. um, you know, we, uh, we decided, you know, let's, let's take this thing as a breather and, uh, you know, checked into a hotel in Nashville and started writing and we'd write for about two or three weeks and then go home, you know, and give it a couple of weeks. Um, and then come back with fresh ideas and, you know, and, you know, what's so crazy about that record was a lot of it was like, uh, just, we didn't have, you know, a whole lot of stuff written. Diamond just got that first whammy pedal. You know, and that makes a difference on a lot of the songs that, that we were doing. Right. You know, difference in bottled pills. And, um, you know, I haven't listened to that record in a long time, but I, I just remember that, you know, it was, it was, um, it was heavy, but at the same time it had that, that bit of melody to it that made it, uh, you know, over the top a little bit. Um, right. And even that's, you know, we were, like I'm saying, we were exploring the whole process of, uh, you know, where we wanted to go on the whole, the whole thing. So, um, um, put it in short, you know, that, that record, you know, came in at number one. We did a lot of publicity for it. Um, we would, we took the corporate jet, Tom Moore, for about 10 days and we do, uh, in store today, more than, you know, 5,000 people a, a day that would line up and, you know, want to get their stuff signed for the other two records. And um, we just happened to get really lucky, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think luck and timing in this business is crucial. Uh, right. And we just happened to be there at the right time. Yeah, because if you look at it, is there one thing that you could really pinpoint and say, you know, well, you know, Far Beyond Driven is number one, but, you know, none of the previous albums were uh, number one. You know, what what exact, exactly grasps the fan enough to, you know, go out and make this number one, where you probably poured the same amount of blood, sweat, and tears and, into everything? Well, you know, one one thing that, 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 that I can remember from those, that period is that we did a lot of touring with, with the band that was more you know, MTV-ish, you know, Skid Row. And um, right. and we go up and kick their ass overnight, you know. <laughs> and, um, right. you know, and, and, you know, that was all there was to it. That's all we had to do, you know. And, we, you know, Philip's demeanor at the time was, you know, very positive and just having a, you know, open opening act for, you know, this band that has, you know, sold millions of copies off of, of I Remember You, you know. Right. It was a totally different crowd than than what we were used to. We took with those guys for nine months, and um, you know, so I think I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, winning over the, okay. the the crowd base and the whole bit, and then also having the songs to back it up. Right. True. If you don't have the songs, no one's going to go out and and buy the album. If they were shit songs, they wouldn't be. You know. Uh, that was the first time, of course, with it being the number one record that we, you know, 
finally kind of broke through a little bit with uh, radio and, and MTV, but that's about the only time. Right. You know, because we really went off the deep end on, on Great Southern Trinkill. So, um, right. Even that's even though that's one of my favorite records, but um, you know, all those records are. I mean, it's just a, a point in time in your life, and you know, like I say, my musical journey a little bit. You know, that's that's right. Everything has to revolve around you know what your feelings are and and the whole shebang. Right. No, I I hear you. You know, a lot of people. Uh, sort of say that it's almost like closing a cycle. And when you go back and look at those albums, you remember, you know, that particular period of time, exactly what you're mentioning now. Sure. Um, last thing is, does hearing people say that metal in the 90s sucked bother you? Especially since being part of Pantera, you guys were at the forefront and keeping metal alive in many aspects during those years. I think you just said it yourself. You know, um, yeah, I mean, there was no other metal band out there doing what we were doing, you know, and selling the arenas out and and, and, right. whole, and influenced a whole another generation to, you know, what we did back in the back in the nineties, you know. I uh I don't look back at it and, and kinda of dwell on it. I just think, right. you know, that was a great experience, you know, in my life and, and uh and I'm, I'm very gracious, you know, um, that, you know, everything that happened, we just, man, we got lucky, you know. And But we had to have the songs behind it, though. You know, right. and, uh, the songwriting was there. Um, you know, I just think that uh, sometimes take people don't kind of, they, you know, they move on to different things. But you look at all the bands that rip off Pantera today. You know, which right. is very flattering. Um, you know, without those records, then maybe metal would would have been dead. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head right when you started describing the album and describing, you know, uh, Dime with the Whammy pedal. I mean, you know, how many people are using that today alone, you know, and that comes right. directly from you guys. You know, and, and just the way that we were, you know, the, trial and, and experimentation um, and we knew how to write songs I mean you know I was 17 when I was in this band and hell but um, this is coming on the fall but you know it, it's um, it's just the way that we uh, intended to business you know um, okay. wanting everything to be a little, little heavier than the last one you know, at the right. same time, keep those hooks, and um, you know, you you know when you have a you know when you have a really good solid song, you know, and that's what we were we uh, we intended to do the whole time. So, hey, this is Rex Brown from Kill Devil Hill. You're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. All right.
getting what I have. soloing their um, throes of rejection and that just about wraps up our classic albums column for this month featuring Pantera's Far Beyond Driven want to thank everyone who came aboard Gene Hoagland, Alan Tecchio, Dave Reffitt, Martin Popoff, Rex Brown, Mitch LaFon and Aaron Griffith from Signal to Noise and Iron City Rocks as well as Rex Brown want to thank of the PR people that helped make this happen and thank everyone that sent in comments that are listed up there on the website. Remember you can stream or download any of the Mars Attacks podcast episodes directly from MarsAttacksRadio.com or directly from iTunes. And once again, tell your friends about this show and like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter. Do the same on Google Plus and all the other great social platforms, social network platforms that we're on. You can find all that great stuff on the right-hand side of MarsAttacksRadio.com. Thanks again for listening. We're going to leave you right here with a cover song that a lot of different people discussed 
it is Pantera's cover of the Black Sabbath classic, Planet Caravan. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time, right here on the Mars Attacks podcast. Thank <laughs> you.